It's the podcast specifically for the Australian country music industry. Our country. Conversations with prominent Australian country music identities. Recorded and produced in Tamworth, Australia's country music capital at Radio 2TM. And now, the host of our country, 2TM presenter and award-winning singer-songwriter, Sally Ann Whitten. Our special guest for this episode of Our Country is renowned musician and studio engineer and producer and all-round nice guy, Mr. Alwyn Orish. Hello, Alwyn. Thank you for joining us on Our Country. Hello, Sally. <laughs> well, this is fun, having yeah. an actual uh, formal conversation with you about country music. Yeah, okay, a bit different. It is a little bit different. Now, for those listeners who may not know, your background, uh, although you've done so much in country music, before that was in rock and roll. You toured all over the place uh, as a rock and roll musician and and a formidable one too. You played with all sorts of uh, the who's who really of Australian rock and roll and, and lots of other people as well. So what I am curious about is how did you get into country music what made you switch over to country music um tell us the truth yeah okay (laughs) well i was a rock and roll musician yes i I played in rock bands and i played in covers bands and that was uh you know and 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 tour a lot with um um initially in the 80s with the craze band and um and we were an opening act for a lot of the big rock shows and um and that was lovely, you know, I enjoyed that. And I guess you could say that rock music is my first love. Um, okay, well, thank you for joining us, Alan. That was a nah, oration. Uh, <laughs> Get out. Nice. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Yes. Okay. Yeah, first, not last. Okay. No, I'm good yeah. with that. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. So uh, I, um, I actually have always had an appreciation for country music, even when I was young. I've actually got a vinyl of Ricky Skaggs' Highways and Heartaches. Classic. That's my favourite country album of all time. And that was like, what, early 80s, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So that was was while you were touring around playing rock and roll in rock and roll bands in the 80s. You actually already had one little foot in the water there with some country music. I was a a cupboard fan. So did you grow up with it in the house when you were a kid? Um, just the usual Aussie kid thing where, um, you know, everybody listened to Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a matter of whether you like country or not. It's just that, um, everybody liked Johnny Cash. Of course. You know. So you got exposed to some of the great players, um, back then, you know, you could hear great guitar work. You could, you could hear, um, you could hear the, the whole point about country that was, probably more impressive than anything that was going on in rock music was the fact that the lyrics actually had something to say. Mm. You know, there was a, either a story or there was a um, an emotion set in in the song that was sort of like poetry, you know, yeah. and, and you just don't get that depth of lyric in rock music. Some rock bands were a little bit more folk-orientated, and and so they they had something to say, but you know, mostly it was just about sex and drugs and and whatever. Terrible, absolutely disgusting. Yeah, mostly sex. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and country music 
did that too. It covered that as well, but yep. it, but it got into deeper things. Uh, and so I had, I appreciate the um, lyrical content of okay. the country, uh, and also the fact that there were great players such as Albert Lee, who was originally a rock and roller too. Yeah, that's right. An English yeah. rock and roller, and he moved to America and and started working with Emmylou Harris and and people like that. So at the end of my tenure as a, I suppose, a rock and roll musician. I'd like to add that you still play rock and roll and you play it very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, do, you do spend an awful lot of time in the country music arena. I don't think they're actually that far musically, that far from each other, um, really. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Country music is one of those forms uh, when it when it becomes pop country that it, it takes a lot from other forms. It takes from blues. It takes from yes. rock. Yes. I mean, you listen to the, the modern stuff now, the top 40 pop country stuff that's happening now, and I hear, you know, if you didn't know that that was, say, the current Keith Urban song or, or whatever, if you didn't know any better, you could be listening to an 80s Aerosmith song or even an, an early 90s kind of um, pop song. It's it's really mixed up, isn't it? It is mixed up, yeah. Mm. But it's funny you should mention Aerosmith because uh, a lot of the uh, the sort of, well, should I say it, bro country yep. music. Yep. Um, you can and, say that. And, and you hear the, the guitar riffs and they're just straight out of Joe Perry's songbook yeah. from Aerosmith. Well, uh, I hope he's getting some royalties from that. I hope so too. <laughs> but um, in, uh, in the late 80s, I, I met up with uh, Michael Roycroft because my manager and his manager were the same person. Handy. And it just happened that way. He, he moved to Australia and he needed a guitar player and a, a, an MD, really, you know, somebody to direct him. So that would have been, at that time, I can imagine, because um, you were well known, and as you are now, of course, but back then even renowned as the gun guitar player could play anything um, and, you know, known to be the guy, especially around this region. So that would have been, but still... For somebody like Michael Roycroft, who is an entrenched country music singer, that would have been like, and I don't know how else to describe this, but kind of a little bit like Joe Walsh joining the Eagles. <laughs> it's like, we're going to bring some rock and roll into this outfit and we're going to see what happens. <laughs> is that, am I overthinking that? Or is that a little bit of, that little bit well, of cowboy stuff going on there? Not at all. Probably a, a different level, you know, talking about Joe Walsh and the Eagles. But oh, Well, yeah, uh, only pay level. <laughs> Different pay level. Definitely different pay level. Michael Roycroft, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, but it was good because he introduced me to Steve Earle, right? And I heard all those wondrous sounds of Richie Bennett playing the guitar, who mm. I found out later was Neil Diamond's guitar player. Um, it's very incestuous, isn't it, the music industry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Um, I just loved that stuff. I, I, I loved it and I quickly took to it, you know, and I love it. And I sort of then started going back and listening to the country classics more and listening to the, the uh, production and listening to the, the playing and, and, and all those sounds and, and how deep they were, like in terms of really beautiful layers of, of music. And I, I developed a new appreciation for country I had one before, but it got a bit deeper okay. because of that, I think. 
Yeah. I've got a question and I'm going to, I'll come back to that about country players. I have a theory that country music musicians, good ones, can play anything, which other genres can't. But we'll come back to that because I want to, okay. I want to talk about your background a little bit more. So, so uh, from then on, I know that you produced, uh, you did a lot of studio work for people like Michael and for the Crosby Sisters. You got some Golden Guitar nominations, some Golden Guitar winning albums in there even as well. Um, and, your role as a musical director, you you were you got a lot of work as an MD uh, for lots of people in the industry for particular shows, for live broadcasts, you know, radio shows, um, tours, music tours, all sorts of stuff. So what I what I really want to know is how you see your role as an MD. What what are the important things? What makes a good musical director in that sort of environment? Wow. Okay, that's a tricky a one. A big question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a big uh, responsibility is, is what I'm getting at because MDs, you're the person when you're the musical director that everybody goes to for questions about all the things. So how does that pan out? Yeah, that's that's hard. It's um, I think what it comes down to is that when you're uh, when you're that guy that gets kind of nominated as the, the person who's uh, directing this thing, whatever it may be, is that um, you have to kind of have a handle on everything that's going on. Mm. Um, so you have to be sort of um, looking at the players and mm-hmm. making sure that they're, um, you know, on the same page. That's really what it comes and down to. And what about selecting the players? Is that a role too that, that you get to pick the backing band for either the tour or the show? Is that is that an important thing too, getting the right blend of players that can work together? Oh, definitely. The, the the musical director has to have some influence there because they, they have to use players that they know are going to function mm. and uh, they're going to deliver the goods. But you also – it's a bal- balancing act because mm. you also have to make sure that those players have some sort of musical connection with the performer, with the singer. Mm. So it's, is there some sort of compromise sometimes? Like sometimes you might book a player who maybe can't isn't a great reader – Per se, can sort of muddle their way through a chart, but is such a great person and reliable person, and pulls great tone. So they would get the gig over someone who can read anything and who might be hard to get hold of, doesn't answer the phone uh, sometimes, you know, and is just a little bit sort of uh, question mark here and there. Is there a, a little <laughs> bit of compromise there? Yeah, we know those people. <laughs> I'm not um, going to mention any names, but no, that's okay. You know. I think that it's more a case of you've got to get uh, the player who you know is going to work in whatever environment. And so players that can read and almost play anything um, are great. Um, when you're putting together a show, that requires the players to actually come up with the goods on the spot, on, on the spot uh, short notice, read whatever, mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of have a feel for the show and a feel for the songs. And, and that's really important. But there might not necessarily be players that you work with long-term mm-hmm. uh, in a band or, or a long-term production because mm-hmm. they um, often I found the singer can turn around and, and, and say, ah, he's a nice drummer, he's a good bloke, but when I'm singing it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And you, you have to take notice of that because – I've seen it so many times where I've seen a, a singer short of breath because they're not in a loop rhythmically 
mm. with the drummer. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of whether I think everybody's on the same page. The performer out front, the guy who's hiring you or the girl who's hiring you to to be the director is also um, comfortable with the players that are around them. You know, does it feel right for them? Yeah. Because if it doesn't feel right for them, it's just not going to work. It's not going to gel. Yeah. So there are lots of compromises and mm. uh, and lots of things to consider. Mm. So what about from the uh, from the MD's point of view when you're working for an artist? So you know perhaps you're doing. Um, I know you've done a lot of work on like shows for in the Tamworth Country Music Festival where there's many artists on the bill, and you've you have. Uh, played and backed and performed with and being an MD for just about everybody in the business. Um, from these artists, and you would have seen all sorts of levels and all sorts of styles and levels of professionalism, what do you want to see? So if, if I'm a singer coming onto your stage or contacting you, you know, the week prior to the gig, you know, um, hi, my name's Sally, I'm on the show that we're doing next weekend, what impresses you? from an artist? What is a great professional etiquette? Ah, yeah, another good question. Wow, they <laughs> just keep coming. I've got all the coming. good questions. <laughs> Goodness me. Yarn event, eat your heart out. Ah, okay. That's, got, that's very fickle. Um, you know, there are people who are, are just extraordinary artists. They, they, um, they know how to communicate with their audience. Mm-hmm. And, and once they're on stage, they're just incredible at that. But... Um, they can be better if they have all the other stuff behind so the So what scenes. are we talking about? What's the okay. other stuff? Well, their ability to communicate with their musicians, mm. uh, their ability to communicate with the, the MD. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect an artist to know what they want and be able to communicate that to me, mm-hmm. you know, how they want it to sound. Yeah. Um, what their expectations of the of the mood should be and things like that. You know, um, do, do they have charts? Uh, can they get all the information to me well beforehand uh, so that I can take a look and and set it up and suggest players and overview it uh, prior to the performance? Mm. Um, how organised are they with all of that? that office sort of work, you know. So communication is really the big thing. Yeah, yeah. But it really comes down to whether they can actually um, impress on me how they want their music to be presented. Mm. If I've got an idea of of how that's meant to go, then I I can usually direct the players. I can usually say, hey, guys, this is meant to sound like this, it's meant to feel like this. Mm. This is the look, the sound, the feel that we're going for to present behind this guy. We give the that that artist the right mood on stage. He'll perform better. Yeah, he's just going to be better. It's just he's going to be more comfortable and he's going to perform better. And mm-hmm. he's you know, and that communication doesn't stop just then. It 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 keeps going while you're on stage. Mm. It has to be going. There all the time, communication with your players. And the audience like it. They like it when they see a bunch of players. Doesn't They do notice those things. Yeah. Yeah, who, they really do. Who are um, playing as one. Yeah. They're unified. They, you know, there's a solidarity there. They like that. I, I've noticed that. So if, a, if a, uh, an entertainer is, uh, 
bit of out of sorts mm-hmm. with the band. Um, <laughs> That's a nice turn of phrase, uh, out of sorts. Because it's just not going quite the way it was meant to. It's not feeling the right for them. it's not sounding quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that negative energy from that feeds into the audience mm. and it can bring the whole performance down a little bit. And, yeah. Um, so the more organised they are and the better communication skills they have, mm. and it doesn't matter what style they are yeah. or, or what they're trying to present, but if they can communicate that to everybody beforehand and keep the communication going while they're on stage, it's just going to be a better show. Everybody wins. Everybody has a good play. The audience like it better. Uh, so, yeah, communication with, with people in the industry is so important. So if I was an up-and-coming artist that was looking at doing some work in, say, the Tamworth Country Music Festival, um, what advice would you give to me if I'm being a part of a, a bunch of shows where I'm a walk-on artist with a backing band, um, there's a musical director, what would you say to me? What do I need to do? What do I need to focus on? Uh, I think primarily you need to focus on your songs and, as I said, communicating how you'd like your songs presented. So good charts is a part of that? Good charts, yeah, and not too complex because there are so many players out there that come from different disciplines. Mm-hmm. They read different styles of notation or, or and some don't read notation at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, some just prefer um, a number sort of system. Yep. Um, some prefer the other, like like traditional chord charts. Um, some like to read dots. Uh, you don't get that much in country, but they need to be simplified. Mm-hmm. And I think an artist needs to think, how do I simplify this? How do I project my music out there and get these players on board to play along with me and and keep it simple and let them have their head a little bit, you yeah. know? Don't... don't um, an artist should not go out there and expect to hear exactly the same chops that they heard on their recording. Mm. It's not going to happen because they're different people mm. to what you had when you recorded the album. They're mm. just different people. It's going to sound different. Let them have their head a little bit and everybody will have fun. It'll sound fine. Yeah. But don't expect, uh, you know, okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah, you got Albert Lee to do a guitar solo on your album. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Okay, but now you don't have him in the house. You know, don't expect that guy to pull off that same solo mm. or those same guitar chops mm. that, that that Albert did. It's not going to happen. And if he does try to do that, he might nail it if he's disciplined and he was pre-warned and he did some work. Mm. Um, but he might not have had that time. To do you, that, you're so, often in situations too where you don't get a rehearsal. You don't. People don't send you stuff prior. You're just walking onto the stage, and somebody hands you a chart, which is basically just a map, isn't it? It's not. Yep. This is exactly how the song goes. Even the best chart for a performer is re- at best just a map. So, yeah. would you say that it's really up to the performer then to be able to communicate the rest, how it feels? Even if you've written on there, it's a train feel. It's a two feel you know, set it up so that we have an idea, so the band knows really exactly how you want it to feel, is it? Yeah, yeah. Look, Communication. It is. And some of the older country 
and cabaret sort of acts from from you know the eighties, uh, and that we're um, we're really good at that. And um, I, I know one or two actually who were really clever. They would turn up. You were doing a show. You hadn't had any pre uh, knowledge of what's going to happen. You were just basically being session musicians. Um, and you're doing a show, and and I, I know some of those older cabaret acts who would turn up, and they would have three sets of charts. And this actually happened to me. I had one who turned around to me once and said, or to the band, and said, uh, "Okay, who reads?" As in, do- yeah, dogs. yeah, 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 yeah. Who who reads music? And you know, so I put my hand up. Oh, good. These are yours. Um, who reads a little bit? You know, <laughs> and so. The drummer put his hand up, and so really? he said, "These are for you." <laughs> and and then and the bass player said, "Oh, I don't read, read I don't nah." And he said, "That's okay. These are for you." So that's a lot of work, but this guy was carrying around three sets of charts for everything. So to me, that says that he, he, she really yeah. cares about making it comfortable for everybody on stage, yeah. which also translates into a great performance. Yeah. That's right, and also no problem with the um, getting into the groove because um, with with people like that because they just go this is how it goes, mm. and they would count in and they would count in musically in rhythm mm-hmm. and and really lead the band. A, a big mistake that a lot of artists make is that they they walk on stage and expect this uh, orchestra to emerge behind them um, that's going to be perfect. Um, what they don't realise is that uh, we're following them. They shouldn't be following us. Mm. They need to lead. Mm. They really need to be directing the show. Yeah. The MD is there just to, um, you know, put things in place and put things together and, and, and be that go-between. But um, ultimately you follow the singer, you mm. follow their song and – that's always my advice, to, especially with younger ones who are a bit nervous and that I just say, just go out there and sing, look at the audience, communicate with the audience and sing. But don't forget there's people here on stage with you who are relying on you to do that. Mm-hmm. Just lead, you know, take the lead. Take your song by, by the horns and, and ride it through, you know. Yeah. And we'll be there for you, but um, don't expect this magic to just happen behind you. Yeah. It's not like pushing a button and playing to a backing track. Yeah. It's just not. I have seen, I must say, I have a little chuckle. I have seen uh, things like in a walk-up scenario where usually an inexperienced kind of singer who might have a great set of pipes but walks out and hands the charts to the band and stands there and just waits for it all to happen, Just just standing on the stage in front of an audience Waiting, doesn't say anything, doesn't count the band in, doesn't say hi, doesn't talk to anyone, just waits and then looks around like, well, how come the music hasn't started yet? <laughs> it does happen. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. And look, I, I can read music, like I can read notation, but I, I even then, if um, somebody puts a really organised uh, score in front of me and, and they expect that Still to happen. not enough information. No, there's not mm. enough information. I, I usually, you know, go up to them quietly and say, um, yeah, I can read this, but how is this meant to feel? Yeah. 
what type of rhythm aspect do you need? What 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 sort of mood? Yeah. It's, that's not. There's, there are things you can't write down effectively. Yes. And they, their ability to communicate is everything there. Yes. All you need to do, I would imagine. Well, speaking from experience as an artist in that um, in that scenario, if you can just tap, you you know, tap, click, and go a one, a two, a three. A four, mm. and straight away you know exactly how the song feels. Rather than one, two, three, four, straight away if you can just right. have a little bit of a hint about how the tempo is, how yeah. the feel is, everybody's on the same page. That's right. They might easier for everybody. They might as well just walk up to the bike and just say, "Ready, set, go." I've seen that too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's right. I mean, you can, you can, you can sing a count. In you can yes. you can go a one a two a three a four and you know it's going to swing yeah you know, or you can sing a twelve eight you can you can just you can be musical when you count the band in if you don't want to be counting the band in then you need to get together with the musical director prior yes and word them up and yep. and give them a tempo and a way of getting into the song and they'll they'll do it they're happy to do that but just yep. just ask. Communicate, communicate, communicate. That's the big one, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. All right, so we've talked a lot about on-stage stuff. So on the fly, MD, your role as a musical director. What about, let's talk about, because I know you've done a lot of work in the studio in different roles. So you've been obviously a session musician, you've played guitar, bass, um, various versions of stringed instruments, dobros and mandolins, all sorts of stuff. But I feel like sometimes there's a little bit of a grey area between in the studio between producer versus engineer. So I know technically an engineer pushes the buttons, uh, but what about the role of producer? Because they often kind of overlap. So what do you think about that, producer versus engineer? Yeah, well, um, engineer, producer, mm, sometimes they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, more often now with uh, digital recording it's a, it's a thing that um that that happens more uh back in the day when there was um uh people did had to go to a recording studio they just had to yeah because uh, you just uh, that that equipment was only available via a recording studio you yeah. didn't have it in your house or whatever so that role has changed a little bit however as a producer you need to be the person who who's actually projecting the artist's work out in a particular way. So communicating their vision of what they want to hear for their album. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You expect the producer to understand you, to get you. Yeah. To 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 know what it is that you 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 ultimately want and how you want it to sound. And an engineer's job really is, as you said, simplified pushing the buttons an engineer can have an input though i didn't mean to make that sound like it no. wasn't important either no. but uh, just you know that is crucial my goodness engineers do an incredible job they do they do and um look the best scenario for me really is uh if a producer and an engineer are two different people yeah but they also have to be they have to work in concert so the engineer also has to have an understanding of, of the, the project and where it's heading mm. as well. Um, so that while they're recording it, they're, they're understanding the producer's needs. 
Um, but a producer does a lot of other things too. You know, a producer is also the person who's responsible for um, um, more often the 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 funding, the budget, the mm-hmm. uh, keeping an eye on those things as well, um, and making sure everybody's happy. It's sort of like a almost kind of a management role, yeah, as well. Um, whereas uh, an engineer's job is is more of a technical role, and uh, they're both have to be creative in their own ways. I, I guess the producer's job is more of a creative job, mm-hmm. um, but that's not to say that an engineer can't be creative and that they have to be. And they're, uh, a good producer will listen to their engineer mm-hmm. and a good engineer will listen to their producer. They have to work in concert together. Yeah. So, uh, and I always think think too that a producer's role is quite often the largest portion of their work that they have to do is in pre-production so before you get to the studio and I I don't know I might be probably going out on a little bit of a limb here but I I hear a lot of songs on the radio that I think I don't know that that song doesn't sound finished to me Mm. that song just needs a chorus to be you know a better hook or it needs it's too short or it needs a verse in there or it just it's, you know, the chords are weird, the progression doesn't work, you know, mm. there's not a lot, to be fair. but And I always think, how did the producer let that get to where to, to the point of being finished, mastered, bam, out on the radio? Because that – but I, I do feel like maybe that there wasn't a, a producer, and I'm using, you know, my hands, inverted commas, yeah. involved, that maybe, you know, somebody's gone straight from here's my songs, bam, into the studio, recorded them, their mm. money's – you know, on the table and off they go. Is, is that a thing? It is a thing, and I've seen it. And I've seen it from the guitar booth. I've seen it as a as a just a, a guy who's been hired to come in and play guitar. Mm. And I've seen the uh, the alleged producer um, yeah. just letting the musicians arrange the song for the artist. And I think that's a great idea. Well, uh, a good producer Sometimes. knows when to, who to hire, and yeah. that's that's another thing too, you know. Mm. So it's a, it's about getting people together that, that can work together and and come up with a great thing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, as just as a guitar player, as a session player, I've actually seen it uh, where I've asked for direction because I'm not sure what's really needed here. And the the artists might paint a picture for me, or um, you know, give me some sort of indication. So I'll go with that. But I really need the producer to step in at that point and say something that's going to put me on the same page. Yeah. And so the a producer's role is to get everybody on the same page, get everybody actually sort of into this song and making it work. You know, and I've seen producers not do that and yep. I've seen producers overdo it in the sense that they interfere too much okay. with the artist's yeah. work and also not allowing the players and the engineer their creative side to come out because you're all in there together and, and you should be uh, just have an open mind. But a producer also has the power of veto mm-hmm. um, because they – they should be able to see when something is being dragged too far away from its concept yeah. and to just say, no, no, stop, we need to rethink this, let's try another angle. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, a, 
it, it is about, again, it's no different to stage, communication. Yeah. 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 Finding a, a team of people that you can trust and work with and that you know will do a good job too and take it seriously. Yep. <laughs> yep. It can be easier said than done. All right, so let's go back. We're going to come back to this. Uh, I'm going to give you a statement that I believe is 100% true. I've been a country music singer for most of my life now, which says quite a lot about how old I am. But anyway, <laughs> country music players, in my experience, a really good country band, good country players – can play anything. And I will attest to this because my band played jazz, they played blues, they play rock, and they do it all really well. But having said that, I've worked in a lot of bands over the years, like rock cover bands and uh, a blues band for a little while. And those guys, uh, well, they don't take country music seriously, of course, as, as, mo- as a lot of other genres, um, particularly jazz players, they're they can be quite snobby um, mm. about country music and get the eye roll and it's, you know, all about trucks and hats and stuff. But in my experience, country music plays, and I think it comes down to a sensitivity because country music has got so many levels that if you love and appreciate and can play great country music, you can find that in all other genres as well. So I don't know. That's just my theory. What What do you have to say about that? That country music musicians can play anything and play it well. Well, some can, yeah, and some some can't. It just just depends. Uh, there are a lot of players who uh, just uh, just stick to the one thing that they know, and that happens in country music. Mm-hmm. But it also happens, probably more so, in rock music where we, we see players who just stick to what they know mm. um, and they don't cross over into any other genre very well at all. They just know their rock thing. Um, country players do seem to be a little bit more broad-minded maybe and more accepting. Maybe that's what it is, yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, I'm just uh, spitballing ideas here, maybe because country music nowadays is so broad and it's got so many other influences, it's so close to jazz. You know, Western swing is, is jazz, basically. Yeah. Um, and there's so many blues, you know, blue early, early country uh, Hank Williams is basically blues. A lot of that is nearly blues, what you class, what I would classify as blues. Mm. And, of course, we've talked about the connection with rock and roll. So maybe maybe that's a thing. Yeah, I think it's because country music is a form of pop music. Really, that's what it comes down to. And pop music pulls from all genres, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so um, when we, we see with, with country music and the way it's headed, it's it's pulling from blues, yeah, it's pulling from jazz, it's pulling from rock and roll. It has a lot of those aspects in it, and the players are learning to play those different roles all the time. And uh, so it's very diverse, mm. and that's probably one of the great things about it. It evolves. It's diverse. Um, it's a living form. It's great. You know, um, I, I think that in any genre you can just get stuck in in one thing. Mm and not have your eyes open and not wanting to, to move on and try new things. Um, but um, because country music, I think, is is a form of pop music, so it pulls from all of those different styles. So country players do seem to have the ability to cross over better more often than, say, a jazz player who might be extraordinary in their field 
and have chops that are just you go wow that's amazing how how can you do that you know and and they have amazing ears and they have um, uh, just amazing skills but they can't do anything else no that's um, interesting isn't um, it and country players do cross over a lot uh, and i think it's because they have to mm. yeah. yeah it is such a diverse genre these days isn't it yeah yeah for sure and they're not snobs, and that is one of the other things that I love about country music. Musicians uh, rarely – oh, no, well, that's not true. You do find country music purist musicians, but uh, most of the time they're also massive fans of, you know, um, I'm trying to think of bands off the top of my head um, – Pat Metheny, you know, you talk to a guitar player, they'll go, my favourite guitar players are Chet Atkins, Pat Metheny, uh, Skunk Baxter and uh, Tommy Emanuel, Chet Atkins and all these yeah. diverse, you know, influences that that makes them the musicians that they are. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Um, they do. They have heroes in all, all fields. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, and they're... they're they are diverse. They are. They have to be. That's mm. that's the whole point. And and so yeah, country players can rock. You know, they can play a bit of jazz. You know, they not too much. No, no, no. <laughs> not too much. <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, I, I've always loved that uh, fantastic joke about the difference between a rock player and a jazz player. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, a jazz player plays a thousand notes to a few people, whereas a, a rock musician <laughs> plays a few notes to a thousand people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know how you confuse a, a, mus- a rock and roll guitar player? Mm-hmm. Stick a piece of music in front of him. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. throw that in. Some. Yeah. <laughs> Not all. That's right. But there are rock players who can, can move uh, across as well yep. and, and do it quite well. Yep. There's no doubt about it, you know. I mean, it's it's. Uh, do you want to be uh, an expert in your particular field mm. or do you want to be jack of all trades or you do you want to be that person who can really effectively move between all different genres and do it quite well? Mm. Um, that's That's quite rare for somebody to do all different genres quite well. Of course, everybody's got their thing that they're good at. Yeah, even those players who can really do lots of different styles really well, um, sometimes they have one style that they're really the king at. Of course. And and, um, You mentioned Albert Lee before. Like Albert Lee can cross all those genres, but he really is an incredible country music picker. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah but he, he is. he's a great rock and roller. I've heard him cross into jazz territory, dip his toe into that kind of stuff. I'm sure he probably plays classical nylon string guitar as well at home. I don't know, but yeah, but country music is his thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah, mm. it is. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, we all have a, a thing that we lean towards more than than one other thing. You know, so yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've I've never really been a a full on country picker who gets a, a telecaster and does all that chicken picking stuff. I've just never been that guy mm-hmm. um, because I like what I am. I like the fact that, that I have a rock background and a blues background and before that a classical background um, because I learnt guitar as a classical guitarist. That was my first thing, mm-hmm. my very first thing. And so I have a real deep appreciation for classical music 
and all aspects of it, and particularly classical guitar and Spanish guitar. And I don't profess to be a great classical guitar player because some of those guys just frighten me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they really do. But it's influenced me yeah. a lot, you know, and so I bring my influences to, to my game and everybody does. It's yeah. just the way it is. It's no big deal. No, Everybody's got something different to offer. It's finding their strengths and using them mm. is what it's all about, you know. That reminds me of um, the first recording that I ever did. I was chasing a banjo player and I wanted a particular banjo player and we ended up getting him. Uh, mm. But another banjo player who was well-known, fantastic player too, um, was the studio's recommendation that I will just get this person. Yeah. And I said, no. I mean, he's that person is fantastic, great player, but I I want a particular sound. I want something a little bit more left of centre and I want this particular person. Um, and when that person turned up, they were very, oh, look, this is what I do. I, I can't do that. I can't do that. This is this is the style I want. And if you want that, you need to ring this person. And I said, that's absolutely fine because I know what you do. I know how you sound. I know how you play. And that's why I rang you. If I wanted that exact type of banjo playing, I would have got somebody else. But I think it's important to, to know that about your players when you're booking them. Either allow them their creative head to play how they play. You can't expect to you know if you want brent mason you have to get a guy who plays a telecaster who loves brent mason you know you wouldn't book like a michael fix type player who's extraordinary but doesn't mm. play that way that's just not how they play yeah and i'm just pulling examples out of my backside here but you know is that would you agree that that's important when you're booking a session or a, a putting together a band yeah it's really important it's really important that that the musician uh plays something that feels right for the song yeah. and um you know, I've, I've got a couple of examples of that. Is that I, I know for a fact that, um, um, like, there, there, there's a thousand people, thousands of people, probably in the south of, of the US who can play that that um, uh, folky blues finger pick, thumb pick, mm-hmm. and, and melody style. You know, it's it's been going on, and you know, probably one of the the, the greatest exponents of it that early on that I came across was um, uh, the Doobie Brothers, you know. Oh, Patrick. Patrick um, Simmons. Simmons, yeah, yeah. Like an amazing, amazing finger picker, you know. Blackwater. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But um, I've seen people, I've seen Steve Earle live and I've seen him do that style and it's got a particular boldness about it. And and I know that uh, Emmy Lou Harris actually had him on some sessions for some of her work and said nobody can do it quite like Steve Earl. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't that there's, like I said, there's thousands of players who can play that style, but she wanted the groove that, that Steve laid down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. Um, and that's so important. Um, Slim Dusty, that, that whole pick strum thing that mm. he did with the thumb pick, you know? Um, playing bass melodies and, and strumming without faltering and uh, um, just a beautiful thing. And, and there's lots of people who can do it, you know. But um, Slim was the master of it and, and he used to get sessions as a, a rhythm guitarist. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't be surprised. He was yeah. strong, very, very strong. Really strong. Yeah, yeah. wow. 
Yeah, so you know, find the strengths in your players and and um, yeah. and and use them. You know, yeah. Don't try and put them into a box that they they're not comfortable in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Good advice. So quickly before you go, Alan, um, I know that you're. You know, we've talked a lot about studio about your experience in the studio, putting together musicians, being a musical director. Um, it's been great to hear some insights into all of that. But I'm curious to know what you think from that point of view. How do you feel about the where the future of Australian country music is headed? Whoa. <laughs> Just a small question. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, okay. Um, you're expecting some sort of prophecy here or? No. Uh, no, just your thoughts. <laughs> just your thoughts on, on you know, uh, where it's headed, maybe musically direction, you know, the style where it's headed or, you know, do you think it's going to be more popular? Mm, uh, it's always going to be popular and it's always going to be popular for the reasons that I, I stated earlier is that um, it's because there's there's so many beautiful things going on with with playing and singing um, grooves and styles and feels and lyric content mm. um so it's always going to be that form that's going to attract uh really good popular music mm. it's um it's it's cemented already it's there you know so it's it's always going to have a future um as for the direction of it well, that can change and it evolves and I'm okay with that. But as we often see in pop music or, or any form of music is that there are lulls in the um, uh, the newness of it, like mm. how new it is. Mm. Like, so you, you, you just see people doing a parody of something all the time. Yeah. And you'll, you might see it for years. And even some established artists might just become a parody of themselves because they're they're also searching for a new sound. And probably also, well, perhaps also trying to keep their fan base interested because they are... They like them for what they have been doing for the last twenty years, so they want to keep their fan base. You don't want to, yep. you know, don't want to experiment too far. You don't want to alienate your fans. That must be a tricky thing. Yeah, that is. That's a hard line. You know, uh, for an artist to to become famous based on a particular sound and a particular feel and a style of of song, and and that's what their fans love about them mm. so much uh, that they they just want. You know, they, they bought that album and it just sounds so great. And, yeah. And when that artist does another album, they just go and buy it blindly because they're hoping for more of the same. And that's really nice, but they also should have faith in them as humans who might want to move on and might want to evolve a little yeah, bit course. too. So, yeah, it's a really hard line, you know, do I keep my established fan base happy mm. or, or do I uh, experiment um, but if you're going to experiment, that's fine, but you've got to be careful. You've got, you've got to make sure that you do keep your fan base happy. But you've also got to experiment in, in a way that, um, uh, you know, what were you thinking? <laughs> why, why did you do that, you know? Yeah. Like, like some people could just turn around and go, where, where did that come from? You know, why are you on this bent all of a sudden? 
Um, like the Garth Brooks phase where he was Chris Gaines and put out an album with yeah, a different name. Yeah, That's, yeah. Yeah. That comes to mind straight away. I oh, know. Look, I'm happy to hear an artist evolve, but I think they really shouldn't get too far away from what made them what they are in the first place. Mm, good point. I think to wear your musical roots on your sleeve is, is, is important, even if it's only some sort of reference to it you know you don't, don't go too don't go straying too far <laughs> <laughs> that is good advice yeah good life advice in general i think yeah uh well alan it's been a fascinating chat we've covered an, an awful lot of ground here and uh, really appreciate the insights after your many many years of experience on stage backstage in the studio on the road uh, and hopefully some of our listeners have, have got some great gems out of that. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for being our guest on Our Country. Thanks, Sally. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed all of that. It was awesome. Let's go back to the stage. <laughs> okay. That's where we belong. Yeah. <laughs> our Country, the Australian country music industry podcast, is a production of Radio 2TM Tamworth. Our host is Sally Ann Witten. Production is by Jared Brooke and Scott McLaren and our executive producer is Gavin Flanagan.